I, I've, I've been pushing myself to read books and more books. Last year I read over my quota, which is really exciting. This year I'm going to try and do the same thing. I've never been a big reader. Um, I've always struggled in reading. Uh, I can read, which is a positive, but it's just sitting down and reading a book is challenging, especially when they have the movie. Anyway. Uh, pardon, what's that? <laughs> so I just said, yeah. But I, I keep, I have to try and keep pushing myself, and I do a mixture between reading actual pages or, or pages and doing a few audio books. Um, but I am progressing in things, and uh, I was reading this one book. Um, I haven't quite finished. It's taken longer than what I was planning on, but you know, it's one of those things. Um, and I come across this interesting character. Most of you may know him because they did a movie about him. Um, I have seen the movie, but it's not what the book book's all about. But in the, in the 1960s, a little while ago, was a fellow named Rubens Hurricane Carter. And he was a top contender for the middleweight title of the world in boxing. Right? And in the 1960s, he was wrongfully accused of a her horrific crime. And in the height of his career, he was sentenced to a triple homicide and received three life sentences. Now, in the 1960s, um, there was a lot of racism. And Rubens Hurricane Carter was an African-American. And he was wrongfully accused of these three homicides and never was involved in any of them. But when he arrived at the prison after he had been sentenced, because he was at court, and they take you straight from court to the prison after your sentencing, he rocked up in a tailored suit and an extremely expensive ring because that's what he had been accustomed to. And as they started going through all the drills and he had to change into the beautiful coloured overalls and whatever else they put him on, he asked to speak to someone in charge. And he looked at the warden in the eye. He informed the warden, he says, because you did not send me here, I need to tell you something. He says, I know you had nothing to do with the injustice that brought me here, so I will stay here until I get out. But I will not, under any circumstances, be treated like a prisoner, because I am not and never will be powerless. Instead of breaking down as many would, and as many do, Carter declined to surrender the freedoms that were innately were his. His attitudes his beliefs and his choices. Whether they threw him in prison or solitary in confinement, which he spent a lot of time in, Carter maintained that he still had choices. Choices that could be taken from him or choices that the people would try and take from him, but they could never take his true choices. 
He spent all of his time, which means he, rela- he stopped going out to going out into the playground and stopped going out to the gyms and stopped doing all those things. He spent all of his time working on his case. He was angry, yes, but no one could touch him unless they wanted a fight. He read law books, philosophy. He basically improved himself. It took him 19 years and two trials to overturn the the verdict that he'd been given. And when he walked out of prison, after those 19 years, he resumed his life. He never sought compensation. He never sought an apology. For those things to him, would like, he basically had gone after those things, would like if they had taken something from him. And Rubens, Hurricane Carter, you're going to understand it. I mean, you get the nickname Hurricane. Right? It's pretty devastating. Rubens, Hurricane Carter, decided that even though he had spent time in jail, he was going to use that time wisely. He read, he learnt, and he prepared. And the day of his release, he never ever, not once, sought compensation for being wrongly accused, never sought an apology, and walked out just like he had walked back in. A free man. And it all simply came down to one thing. His attitude. He had decided that although you can have my body and incarcerate my body, you will never have my mind. And I will choose to be free even though I am shackled to where I am. That is an African-American man in the 1960s in a place of extreme racism and prejudice. And as a prisoner, even though he had almost no rights, he understood he had the greatest of all rights, and that's the right to choose or the right to have or determine his attitude. You can't determine what happens to you. All you can determine is what you choose to act like, how you choose to respond to the circumstances that are presented to you. When we were talking last night, we met one of my brother's friends. And my brother and this fellow, his name was Daniel, instantly connected the first day they, were, they arrived at Duntroon. It's funny, when we were sitting in the, um, the graduation ball, they showed photos uh, of certain things that happened. And one of the things that kept coming up is they would show a photo of the day the person graduated and the first day they turned up. And the first day they turned up, we were told, they were shuffled off the buses because they all get bussed in. Right? They issue them with a tracksuit, they issue them with some workout clothes. Right? All the guys, they shave their heads, just like in the movies, right? And then they take a photo of you. And in some of the photos, you could see this, this look, and it all said the same thing. What have I done? And seeing the transformation between that first day and the last day when they graduated was actually quite interesting. Now my brother said that he was very glad the day he graduated because it was over. But you can't determine necessarily what happens to you. You only get to determine how you go through it. I've talked to my brother many times of what transpired and 
and what things they were they required to do. And one of his final exams, they were um, they went to a disclosed location, which is actually up north in Queensland, and they were given actual uh, people to work with. My brother is now an officer in the military, so they were given command over different units. And they had to work through different scenarios. And they had a, an instructor who was an officer who would constantly change the circumstances. At one point in time, my brother was saying they were sending this unit, they had to take this, this base. That was their base, and then they had, enemy, uh, they had the enemy forces come in and take it from them, and he had to retake it back. And Every time they would progress somewhere, the instructor would take something away from him and then constantly take something away from him. Sometimes it was the radio. Your radio is now broken. Sometimes it was the vehicle the, men's are now, the men were using. Sometimes now you men, you've just lost casualties. And they would constantly try and increase the pressure to see when they would break. Because obviously they're training them for a period of time when in wartime, when you have bombs falling around you and have everything happening around you, you still need to be able to make decisions. Not based on how you feel, but on based on what is actually happening around you. And this fellow we got talking to and we met up with him. My brother made friends with him on the first day. They were very similar in nature and uh, very similar in age. And the first week this, this guy had a major injury. So you've got to remember this guy has, has basically given up his whole life to go to Duntroon and the first week he suffers a back injury and a knee injury. Okay, Basically they try and get him through rehab and there's a whole bunch of circumstances that happen around him. But basically he gets medically discharged. And he turned up um, when we were there because um, he wanted closure. And he wanted to see his mates graduate and he wanted to finish out in closure. And we, were, we had this great time of talking to him and he'd heard my story because my brother had, heard my, uh, brother had shared my story to him and um, we were talking about different, different things. But the same thing was happening. Right? Sometimes in life, challenges are going to come straight at you. They're going to turn you upside down, flip you over, change everything you thought you happened. You might have had a plan going this one direction, and this is how it's going to happen, and this is what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you get a curveball, and everything changes, and everything happens a completely different way. You don't get to determine what happens to you. You only get to determine how you respond. Now, my accident happened almost four years ago. And I don't get to determine what happens to my arm. We can try and do bits and pieces and try and do that, but I don't get to determine that. All I get to determine is how I respond in that situation. Now, there's a great story in the Bible. And it's written in two of the Gospels, in Matthew and in Mark. And in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22 to 33, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get in the boat and go before him to the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, and after he had dismissed the crowd, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. When, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately 
Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. And so Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water to Jesus. That's where we'll sort of leave it there. Basically, in a nutshell, what had happened just before all that was Jesus had fed 5,000 men. Five loaves and two fishes. Or two fish to five loaves. And Jesus had performed this mighty miracle to feed all these people with nothing. And the Bible says that there were 12 baskets full left over. And then after they had cleaned up and whatever, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, I basically, I want you to go to the other side because I'm going to meet you on the other side of the lake. And so they all got in the boat jumped on the boat and started rowing to the other side. And Jesus goes up the mountain and he starts to pray. And the Bible says that the wind and the waves were contrary to what was happening to them. In the episode of Mark, it says they were painfully making headway. That means they were slowly making headway, but it was painful. In Matthew says they were beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. So these 12 disciples were in this boat and everything was against them. They had been given the simple task to get to the other side. They had been given the simple task just to go that way. And although they thought probably, oh, this will be easy, we'll just go across the lake. And all of a sudden a mighty storm came up. And a mighty storm was working against them. And a mighty storm was, was taking place and changing everything of their preconceived ideas. No longer was it just about getting across. Now it was about survival. I can imagine that some of them were probably huddled in the middle of the boat, hanging onto the mast. Maybe some of them were trying to bucket out the water that had come in the boat. But the Bible says that they were afraid. And meanwhile, while all this is happening, Jesus is up on the mountain and he can see what's happening. And so he decides to get down because he's already given them a direction. He says, go to the other side, I will meet you there. And as he's, he's coming along, now I've got to understand, he's, there's no boat. And he starts walking on the water. It's not like at that point in time when Jesus is walking on the water that the waves were stopping just in front of him. He was walking on the water in the same storm that the, the, the disciples were being beaten by. And as he was walking on the water, the Bible says that he was walking as if he was walking past them. And so there's 12 disciples huddled in this boat, trying to make some headway, painfully, to get to their destination. Everything is taking place around them, and it is contrary to what they're actually supposed to do, contrary to where they're at, contrary to how they're feeling, contrary to their plans, contrary to everything that's taking place. Some of them are probably huddled around the mast, some of them bailing out water. Some of them are probably crying out, Jesus, save us. Right? Or 
The classic one, it's not fair, I did nothing to deserve this. And Jesus is walking as if he is walking past them. And then they see him. And history tells us that occasionally people in boats on those waters saw ghosts. And so originally their response is, it's a ghost. But it's Peter's response in the whole situation. Because they're all in the same situation. They are all facing the same circumstances. They are all facing the same challenges. But it's only one who decides to do something different. As the wind and the waves is beating against them, Peter sees that it's Jesus. And he cries out to him. He says, Lord, it is, if it is you, command me to come. And Jesus says, come. And so Peter gets out of the boat, defies the laws of gravity, and starts walking on the water. At no point in time, as he walked on the waters, did the winds and the waves stop. The Bible does say that later on, he starts to look at the wind and the waves and he begins to sink and Jesus reaches out and he saves him and takes him back to the boat and then the storm calms itself and they go to the other side. But what I want to show you, what I want to pull you out is this, is we all face storms in our lives. We all face challenges. I always say this, right? You're either in a storm, going through a storm, coming out of a storm or just about to go into one, Right? You don't get to determine what happens to you. You don't get to determine whether or not you have this cruisy life and everything works well, which we all wish it would happen, right? All we get to determine is how we respond in the storm. All we get to determine is what we do in that storm. I was proud of my older brother when he graduated. I've never been to Duntroon. I don't know when he went through. But I can imagine... And I remember talking to him at the end of it and, and congratulating him and, you know, and seeing his relief. Now, to give you some sort of understanding, it was like, let me try and remember the numbers now. I think it was 160 who turned up the first day. Then after six months, the Australian, uh, or ADFA, the Australian uh, Military University Army um, students who have completed their degrees then come over to, to Duntroon and then they have to finish 12 months before they become officers. Okay, They get a degree and they get to go through Duntroon as well. Out of the 160 then they had a bunch, I think it was another 130 that came and joined them. Right? And in that period of that 18 months there were people that dropped out for different reasons. They were Medically unfit, didn't have the right stuff, couldn't make it, just got, uh, just failed too much stuff, back, got back class, there was a whole bunch of different reasons. And I remember talking to my brother, and he said, out of the original 160 that were there on the first day, only 43 saw it through to the 18 months. And then even with the extra 160 that came, I think his class was only 137. 
So there were even still more dropouts in that final year. Just because they just didn't have it, they couldn't push it through. And what determined your ability to go through that 18 months of challenges and difficulty wasn't your level of fitness, but your choice to continue on. My brother in the first uh, little bit of pe- little portion of time, because as soon as you get to Duntroon, he's telling me basically they, they get you a few things and then they, they send you out bush for six, six weeks. And he went in July and Canberra is cold. So in the middle of July, they're out bush. Wrong, wrong time, right? If anyone wants to do Duntroon, don't do mid-year intake. And he got, he got really sick, actually. I think he was hospitalised twice. But he kept going on. And at one point in time, I remember him telling me, he says uh, his, his instructors were concerned that he wouldn't get through it because of his age. And, um, and I mean, he's, he's surrounded by a bunch of eight, 19 and 20-year-olds, you know. Um, and he, he was 40, Okay. And they were concerned that maybe he wouldn't make it physically. And maybe he wouldn't make it uh, even mentally and, and, and um, academically because uh, I love my brother, but he's, he's not a doctor. Um, but he's, a really, he's a really nice guy, but he's not, he's not ever going to be a doctor. And so he had to push himself, right? And it simply came down to choice. He had decided... I am going to make it. He had decided he was going to finish what he started. Because it simply comes down to choice in your storm. Peter decided that he was not going to stick in the boat that might sink. He was going to go to the person that was walking across the storm. Reuben's Hurricane Carter decided that he was not going to be beaten down by the system that he was going to rise above it and actually earn his legal freedom even though he was walking in his own freedom. Did they have fear? Yes. Did they have doubt at some point in time? Oh, yes. Did they stay the course? Yes. Did any of them defy the odds? Oh, absolutely. See, we we can't always determine what happens to us. But we can choose our attitude. And our attitude will determine our altitude. How far we rise is all dependent on how we think. If you think you won't make it, well, you won't. If you choose to find the will, the way to push forward, you will. Remember, altitude, sorry, attitude is always determined by your... Sorry, altitude is always determined by your attitude. And you are free to choose your own attitude, just like you are free to choose how far you rise. You can be surrounded by a bunch of turkeys, or you can choose to soar like an eagle. Victoria read out that passage of scripture this morning, right? 
Well, we are to rise like eagles' wings, to soar above all our issues and problems, not because we have this special way of doing it and everything just moves out of the way for us, but because we have the, the greatest accomplishment. Is that what I'm saying? We have the greatest thing that goes with us, and that's Christ. We have the power to choose, and that is the greatest thing that you'll ever have, power to choose. But we have the ability to be encouraged by such a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us to show us the way and direct us where we're supposed to be. You are surrounded by people, and although we are a little bit lower in numbers than what we normally do because of holidays and different things that are happening, you have people that you can surround yourself to encourage you to stand and keep moving forward. That's why it's imperative that some of the naysayers that are happening in social media are just simply just to be quiet. Because our country doesn't need right now the people who are going to speak negative. Right? We need to get behind people and support them. We need to encourage people. I know, if you don't know, Rick, Rick's in our, in our church. Um, he hasn't been for a while because... Uh, he's been off fighting bushfires. He's part of the rules, right? And he does, you know, he comes in and goes and, and, and all those things. You need to keep him in prayer, keep his mates in prayer. It's important that we learn to stand together and support each other because you don't know what someone may necessarily be going through. But I know there's times when my wife goes through difficulties. I might be that difficulty, but. Um, <laughs> But it's important that we support each other. That's why we have marriage. Someone made a comment about our children last night at the, the, um, the reception because obviously, you know, like weddings are totally exciting for seven-year-olds. Um, but they did, a, they did a phenomenal job and we're very proud of them. And someone made a comment and said, oh, you know, Zeph is, is very resilient and Charlie's, is, is, she's beautiful and she's, you know. And we're just like, that's because we teach them to support each other. Right? Because that's what we do. We support each other. Now I'll stand with anyone and I have stood with people and I'll continue to stand with people who need me to. Right? doesn't mean I'm there holding your hand every day or helping you get out of bed, making you a cup of coffee. Although some people might like that. But I'll stand in prayer with anyone who wants me to stand in prayer. If you want something to happen in your life, you let me know and I'll stand. I've got a, I've got a prayer list. Now you, you might think this is nuts, but i got a prayer list on my phone. Every morning that I go through. Open it up. And all your names are on there. It's just a list of different things that I'm praying for. You know, different people might tell me something. I'll put it next to your name and I'll pray it. And it's not a joke. I keep praying and standing with you guys. Anybody who wants me to stand with you, I'll stand with you. It's about supporting each other. It's about connecting with each other. It's about helping each other make the choice to keep moving forward, to be the difference. To choose to be higher than your surroundings. Because that's how you soar like an eagle. It's not that you get to fly over your problems and never experience them. It's that you get to soar through it. We're going to finish up in a word of prayer. We got tea and coffee this morning. Tea if you want to stay. If you're new, say hello. Um, we do have visitor cards. I'm pretty sure the guys were pretty good with giving visitor cards. If you don't have one, let us know. 
it's a way if we connect with you, get some information. Um, we'd love to uh, catch up with you at some point in time, um, get to know you, you get to know us, um, and we go from there. But uh, let's pray. Eh? Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your encouragement and we thank you for each other. Father, we speak altitude this year. Father, let our attitudes be reflected based upon your word. Not upon our situations, our circumstances, but based upon your word. Father, we speak life upon each person. We speak wisdom, we speak connection, we speak blessings and we speak favour. Speak your protection. And Father, let us all have a great week. Bless us, guide us and strengthen us. Keep our firemen and all those in the harm's way safe. Protect our nation. Heal it, Father, we pray. Bring forth the rain. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.